0: Methods. Um, Well, I would say probably the most popular methods methods aren't going to include any of these. Okay. To be honest with you, Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not trying to be you know pejorative there, but it it is it it is kind of people aren't really interested in the literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of scripture just in itself, right? Um, It's more of here read a verse and then springboard into whatever you want to talk about. So if they are going to be biblically based, usually they'll have some verses they'll read, and then that will just kind of give them a topic. To the where they can start talking about the subject um, you know we talk about our our approach to preaching is we're we're putting our nose in the passage and we're sticking there we may we may pull out to go some other portion of scripture for a cross-reference but primary objective is to get the mean of this text most preaching today is going to be more not worried about the mean of that text it just kind of uses a springboard more to topical or something. yeah and, 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 uh, not even topical a lot of times yeah a lot of times it's just kind of grabbing that story and kind of just going off into, you know, springboarding into whatever they want to talk about. Okay. Um, so um, so it's important to understand everything in Scripture is either a preparation for the Gospel, a presentation of the Gospel, or a participation in the Gospel. Um, and so every passage has in view, whether near or distant, whether future or past, the work of Christ on the cross. So this makes important, because this then makes the Scripture not on, uh, not a parallel to like Aesop, fables, there we go. Um, you know, it, it's not a collection of just random stories, which to the unbeliever as they approach the scriptures or hear the scriptures, that's that's usually what they're thinking, right? It's just, it's just a bunch of random stories, maybe there's some stories there to kind of inspire us to live good lives, others to tell us to avoid the consequences of bad living, and that's kind of basically it. We're coming at it with the conviction of, yes, those stories are in there, and those stories do teach those things, but they're not the point. They're not the major point of it. Um, we, we fit it into the context of the greater story of the gospel wherever we are. And so that prevents your sermon from becoming, uh, I remember reading your book, uh, Chapel's book that I, I recommended for you. He called it, he said, he called it that we, we have, there's a, in the church there's a lot of synagogue sermons. Synagogue sermons. And the synagogue sermon, he said, basically is, if you can get up on a Sunday morning and you can preach a passage of scripture and a Jewish rabbi can sit out there and amen you the whole time and walk out and go like, yeah, it's great. Then you have failed. Right? And you can think, you could, if you don't connect it to the gospel, if you don't connect it to Christ, you can teach anything in the Old Testament and the rabbi would be like, yeah, sounds good. Right on. Because you're just teaching the principles that are there. Right? And so that's, we want to avoid the synagogue sermon. We want to be able to Make sure wherever we are that we're connecting this into the bigger storyline. So um, in your, your notes there, I gave you some passages. You see John 5.39, uh, Jesus said, you search, speaking to religious leaders now who have basically memorized the entire Old Testament, he says, you, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, you think that in keeping them and observing them, boom, there's eternal life. And he says, but it's they, speaking of the, the, the scriptures that bear witness about me. So he's telling them right there, the point of this is not to abide by, live by the standards, it's to realize that all of that points to to me. Uh, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29, he says, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And this is in the context of a story they were going back to the Old Testament. And he's telling the religious leaders, "They don't. you don't even know them. And I can imagine being them. You're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. You're telling me I don't know. I know it just ask asking me. You know, it's like the, you know, sword drill, you know, ask me, I'll, I'll tell you, well, You give me a passage, I'll tell you where it's at, or give me a, give me an address and I'll give you the content, all right? They knew that, but he says they didn't know it. Why? Because they, they didn't know it as connected to him. That's why they, God could say literally they just don't know it. They're going back to that St. Corinthians 4, they're blind, because they can't see the glory of Christ in the scriptures. Um, Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, all the scriptures the things concerned concerning himself so he went through i love that with moses as your first five books of the old testament and then all the prophets you start thinking about that for a minute and you go to like obadiah and you gotta read obadiah and you go huh where's where is uh concerning jesus in obadiah right you're going whoa that does but that's that's the thing it's not just you know, is there, is there a secret hidden place for Jesus in there? No, the whole theme of it fits into the grander storyline, right? There's a lot of judgment and things along those lines. Obviously, that's going to point us to Christ. And so he could say that every, every prophet, every book, literally had its theme as him. So, Chapel, he says there, any sermon does not focus on Christ and his saving work and only provides marks of a good church or marks of a strong family or how to pray is to he called it, a subtext message that the listeners can complete themselves or make themselves acceptable to God. Even if the preacher does not say that, even if the preacher says many true things about the text, if the preacher does not put the text into the overall message of salvation by grace and the finished work of Christ, the listener will automatically hear through a moralistic grid. The sermon only tells listeners how, to, how they must live without putting them that into the context of the gospel, gives them the impression that they are complete enough to pull themselves together if they try hard. That's important. Again, you could be faithfully present the scriptures and not say that, and yet the default mode. I told you last week, like Luther said, the default mode of the um, what do you say now? The religion is a deep default of the human art. Meaning, what he means by that is is our our thought patterns pretty much built around everything else in life, right? You do this, you get this. You you don't do this, you don't get this. Right? I mean, everything. You go to work, you get a paycheck. No, it's just you know, I do something, I get a result. So we approach the scriptures just like that too, right? If I do this, and I'll be loved by God. If I do this, I'll be blessed. If I don't do this, I'm going you know, I'm not gonna be blessed. And so we kind of have this whole mental grid that we go about it. And your audience is automatically thinking that, even if you never, even if you don't tell them to do it, they just will do it. It's just kind of default thoughts that they have. So that's what he's he's getting to. And I put at the bottom uh, there just a YouTube video, and I, I didn't have time to show it today, but I wanted to uh, just at least have it. Have it in there for you. You can check that out and put it in. It's kind of a video I've shown it before on a Sunday morning, but it kind of puts, kind of shows um, how how the, the the gospel kind of connects throughout the the uh, the Old Testament. All right, we'll, we'll revisit this a little bit when we get to to the the preaching as well. Uh, it's, it's it's part of that, but kind of gives you a little bit there. Um, on your page three, we have the the tool principle. And so this is in light of both our mental and moral weakness. It is wise to check your understanding of a passage with other believers and trusted Bible teachers. Um, so this is um, this understanding that we we may have overlooked, may have misunderstood, we may wrongly emphasize some things in the passage as we go to pre- present it. It's important to check ourselves. Go back to okay. Let's find some trusted, you know, writers, commentators. Um, I've got. I think i got eight shelves of books in my office, but three or four of those are devoted to commentaries. I mean, it's just loaded with them. Um, because I like to just go check. And let and me and emphasize what I said there, check, go check. Don't run to them immediately. We talked about this last time. You know, trust the Spirit of God to lead you. You'll, you'll learn more, uh, and, your, and your sermon will actually be more, I guess you say genuine, or more raw and more real, more coming from your heart. Because you discovered things in the text than it was that someone else showed you. Um, so it's good to go there to check. It's good to go there if you're really stuck. You know, you may get to a, a verse and you may, you know, find a passage and be like, okay, I don't know what it means in 1 Peter 3 when it says, or uh, says Jesus went down to the depths and preached to the, um, you know, you know what I'm talking about, that, Pat? You're like, uh, what's going on there? Okay, there may be some times where you, you, you may work really hard at and go, like, I still don't get it. Well, that's okay. Let's look at some commentaries to help get you started. But always make this kind of your last step, as opposed to your first one. Easy because of times, restraints, things like that. We we usually find ourselves trying to go there first. Um, I can't say I've never done that. I have, <laughs> but it, the ideal is to actually not go there first, um, but to uh, to rest on that. Well, you know that they're right, right? I mean, I guess you, True. Read, you, you read enough to kind of get a consensus, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's where like I put in your your bibliography at the beginning. I gave you a couple commentary series that I. I feel, you know, they're really good. I gave you the one reference to Bar- Barclay. Be careful with him. But the other ones, I really I really are overall trustworthy. If I see that volume of uh, the Pillar New Testament Commentary series, it really doesn't matter to me who the author is. I know that series is going to be trustworthy. It doesn't mean everything they're going to say is correct. But I know, by and large, it's going to be pretty pretty spot on. Yeah. When I go and I'm
1: stuck on a verse, mm-hmm. and I just can't seem to figure it out, I go to... Uh, Several commentaries,
0: and they totally to leave that whole verse out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you will, will find that stupid. too. But you know, what are you
1: going to do? You know, if that doesn't help. You just skip over the verse and
0: go on to the next. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If you if you ever find you find somebody that doesn't address something, there's a guy named Martin Lloyd Jones. If you get a commentary by him on like Romans or Ephesians, he doesn't skip a word. Let me tell you that. I mean, he's like, I have a six-volume commentary on Ephesians. Six volumes just on Ephesians, like a chapter per. Volume and it's like the volumes aren't they aren't they're like small print. <laughs> you know, so it's yeah he, he's you know I think he has 16 volumes on Romans it was almost like an entire volume devoted to every chapter. So yeah, so he's one of mine. I always remember like okay if if someone doesn't address this issue, he did. Uh, he he definitely had had um you can online right yeah you can get his audio. I mean he's he died back in 1980 something, but uh, but a lot of his audio is, is unavailable now online, but his commentaries as well. Yeah, he was a he was a pastor over in over in England. Um, the other part is in this, this principle too is also learning to discuss that with others. I find that helpful too. Um, you know, it's it's advantageous for me. I'm in the office here, I can be looking at a pastor's figure now, so I can go grab Brian or Justin or Eddie and be like, Hey guys, what do you think about this? And I mean I have got that kind of advantage in that way. But it but it's good and helpful to find find people you can talk to, ask and be like, Hey, I've had plenty of people email me stuff and be like, Hey, I was studying this and I don't know what this means. What do you what do you think? And I'm like, oh, okay, great. I love doing that. So if you ever run across something and want to ask me something, that's fine too. But I think it's good to kind of find other people that you can talk to as well is helpful. All right? All right. So the application of Scripture, uh, key principle here is to remember, although there is only one interpretation, there can be multiple applications of a text. Um, also, one of the things you want to remember is we're, we're talking about now, what I'm not talking about is, is applying the sermon to the person out there. I'm talking about applying it to you first. So you've got to be careful <clears throat> that you don't read and study a text and immediately jump to, oh, so-and-so, they could really hear this. You know, They really need to hear this. Or, oh, this reminds me of so-and-so. They, I hope they're present for this. You know, whatever. Like, jump to first thing is for you. What is this text? How does it apply for me? How do I live this out? How do I apply this? Is the first place um, that you want to go. So uh, a couple of warnings we put there uh in the text number one wrong interpretation obviously leads to invalid application so again you want to get to the meaning and make sure you get it right uh before you jump to application Uh, as i said a minute ago applied must be applied not simply discovered by you it's not enough just to discover things but oh that's a neat fact or that's a cool insight i got you gotta find a way how does what, what difference does this make in in my life um uh, number three there, warning, uh, must, note, must not go beyond what it says or means. That's going to be really important when you get to preaching. Um, say what it says, but don't go beyond what it says. We can be just as guilty uh, when we, when we uh, you know, t- not saying what the Scripture says. We can be gu- guilty of that. But we also be guilty by adding to it as well. And so you'll see the warnings of the Scripture, don't add or take away. Right? Don't do either one. So you got to be careful that you don't launch into something that's not in in scripture having said that as a total footnote just popped in my head one of the things that uh when you get to preaching uh with this point is it's okay not to always have to be 100 percent sure of what you're saying okay um meaning there may be times you would be like you know what there's these two options <laughs> or this you know and it's okay to present it that way i was taught like in i'm from john MacArthur's school and church and on staff there for many many years and i I was, literally, I had him for, he was my, my preaching professor, and so he, he actually told me, he goes, if I'm 75% sure, I'm preaching it like it's 100%, like I'm 100% sure. And I'm like, yeah <laughs> I don't know. So if you ever listen to John, you know what, you, if you ever heard him, it's he's 100% sure on everything. <laughs> and so there's a reason for that. Um, I don't quite take that approach. I think it's better to be a little more uh, honest. I think people appreciate that, too. If you're like, look, this is really, I really am not sure um, but here are some good options. Here are some reasons behind those uh, can be presentable as well. So it goes as well for application. Um, rightly divide the word of God. Again, the importance of getting it right uh, before we get to application. The Holy Spirit must be at work if we're going to truly apply the scriptures and know what it says. As Martin Luther said, that the Bible is not merely to be repeated or known, but to be lived and felt. Okay? Uh, number eight: What are some principles of application of Scripture? Uh, a few things. We we'll do these quickly. Uh, submission to God. Uh, true application will take place uh, only insofar as we truly submit it to God and His authoritative Word. And so, this is where we basically, when we think about the Scriptures, we, from from just from an uh, image standpoint, we we don't stand over it, right? It stands over us. And so, just kind of a submission to the text. Um, for our lives is going to be really important if we're going to con- convey that, right? Uh, secondly, the danger of moralism. Um, it's frighteningly easy in this step of Bible study to, to suddenly leave behind an attitude of dependence and drift into the realm of moralism um, or, or legalism. And so this is um, kind of become... A, easy can become, in your search of the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures, can become a self-centered approach to make ourselves feel better and be like, oh yeah, I totally nailed that one, right? I've got this... I, got that. I don't really need nothing to apply here. You know, I've, I've got this all taken care of. Uh, sometimes we can study the scriptures and, and look to teach them just to impress others with some nifty insights and cool things that we found. Uh, you want to be careful, again, self-examination of those things, that we're not doing it to impress others, or even trying to placate God by being a good teacher in that way. Letter C, um, the here we go. Primary and secondary uh, applications. This is important when you get to application, especially when we get to the teaching part. Um, it says, uh, we put here, in general, the primary point of the passage should furnish the primary point of application. Secondary points of application should come from secondary points within the passage. Let um, me explain that for a sep- second. So, so in light of, we talked about that, that, that redemptive hermeneutic, in light of that, um, and the God-centered kind of nature of Scripture, we will find often that the main point of application... The primary point is often love God. That's often the primary point. Rejoice, exalt, worship God. That's that's many times the primary point. So don't miss that one. That's the primary point of application. And then there's a lot of a lot of secondary aspects as well of application. A lot of real nitty gritty, like you know, do this or be very practical. Those are good too. But don't leave behind the primary one, right? And that's why that's that's important. Uh, the more we grasp, and it's and actually. The application to love God, which is the theme of scripture, right? You say, What's the greatest commandment? Love God, love your neighbor. Um, those are important. And so those are super practical. Uh, if if you wanna if, if we're trying to get people to love sin less and love God more, well the best way to do that is is to show them the glory and goodness and love and greatness of God so that the you know the the passion for the for the sin starts to dwindle away, right? So it's actually super practical to to go with the application of you need to love God more, and here's why. Um, and so that's, so that's helpful. So for example, uh, i give you a, uh, an easy one that's kind of really a very application-oriented passage. Take 1 Corinthians 13, for example. Super applicable, right? I mean, love is patient, love is kind. It's like, oh, that's an easy one. It's, I can get up there and tell people to be kind and patient. And those, I would say, are all secondary applications to that text. The, when, you, when you're going to put that passage in the overall theme of Scripture... What you're going to have to find out is, like, here's what love is. Well, where is that, where is this, who embodies this description of love? Well, you can take that whole passage and go like, well, that, yeah, this fits into the person of Christ. He, he is the ultimate description of love. You go to 1 John, God is love, right? So that's our primary application is look at the love of God. Look at love of Christ. Now, now that's love like, like he loves. That's the secondary application. Does that make sense? We were talking about differentiating those two. Uh, it's important to, to get both of those. Uh, the letter D there, beyond the, the surface level, I gave you a very lengthy quote I won't read right now. But uh, this is from Thomas Chalmers. And this is, um, the idea going beneath the surface level is to get to the, the heart uh, transformations which you want. You want to not just appeal to the will of folks. You want to appeal to their affections. Um, he'll, he'll say here in this quote, it's kind of the main part of the quote, is he'll talk about um, how, how we need an expulsive power of a new affection. that's what people need. They need a a, a greater desire for God than they have a desire to to go after sin, right? And so he would say, that's what we need to go after. So we need to deal with the sin kind of underneath the sin. So remember that when you're dealing with application, you want to deal with the sin underneath the sin. And a lot of times, um, you know, for example, you take the Ten Commandments. Well, you don't break Commandments 2 through 10. You never break Commandments 2 through 10 until you've broken number one first, which is what? You should have no other God before me, right? When you do that... You'll do any of these other nine, right? But this is all. That's why it's number one, is because that's that's the that's the real issue. That's the that's the sin underneath the sin. Commit adultery is a sin, but the reason they commit adultery, first of all, is because they had some other god before them, before God, right? And so it's always kind of going after that heart idol, uh, the heart motivations of uh, of of why they're in their situation. Uh, letter E. Yeah, go ahead. Right, you yeah. to appeal to people's affections, mm-hmm. not and I missed... missed appeal it. to people's affections. What I'm saying by that is is appeal to not just to the will or the mind. You need to appeal to those because they need to change the way they think. They need to change how they're acting. But if you're going to motivate the will, if you're going to motivate a change of thought, you got to go after their affections. You got to go. What is it? What do they love? Right. And the only way you're going to get them to go after what they love, if they're loving something they're not supposed to, is they're going to have to find something greater to love. And then what Thomas, uh, Thomas Traumer's quote there is simply saying that, and, and succinctly, is basically we have to love something. And we have to have an affection. We, we can't turn the affection you know, faucet off. It just flows. Um, it's like you know we're designed to worship. We worship. That's just what we do. That's how God made us. Well, the question is not if we're going to worship, it's who. And that's kind of what he's going after. We need to go after their affections and what they love. Affection, love, kind of similar. Uh, various realms of application. Um, we have a, a text may have something to say regarding our desires, our words, our beliefs, our actions, our affections, or our thoughts. Those are different categories um, there. So we, the Bible shares content with intended purpose, expecting that we will respond with Belief. In other ways, depending upon what it says, sometimes we are told to repent of a sin, obey God, live according to God's command. Other times, the design is for comfort, strengthen, courage, build up. There's lots of different ways of application that come down. Uh, lastly, uh, application summarize. Um, I'll just skip over that, but you can see the questions. These are what we're looking for here. You know, what does it show us to praise God for? These are just good questions to ask yourself as you're studying the passage. you okay, here's some ways we can apply it. What does it, uh, what does it show us to confess? What does it show us to inspire to or ask for? Is there an example for us to follow? Is there a command for us to obey, an error to avoid, promise to claim, a new thought about God himself? These are all different questions to ask yourself as you, You step away from the passage having studied it. Okay, let me answer these questions. What realm of application are we looking at? Okay? All right, that gets us to where we need to be. See, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too far off last class. I doubt highly I'll make it through this one, but we will try. All right, class four. Okay, presentation. As we talked about, there's the science side and the art side of things. We spent time here talking about the science last week and a little bit today. Um... Mm -hmm. And this is the basically the idea of the science, is that there are laws of exposition that control and govern uh, its effectiveness. There's fixed language rules. There's the we're told by the exegesis, pulling out from the text, not importing, which is eisegesis. Uh, the hermeneutics rules just can't be broken. These are the rules, grammar and structure, that go into making it a science. Uh, we want to be careful we're not, we don't apply those. We don't play fast and loose with the scriptures. We don't want to just haphazardly just throw it out Uh, so it's really important that we do we don't do that and so um, and then we get into the art side and this is because it's an art because teaching is a medium of communication it's a means of delivery Um, it involves much creativity personality and giftedness and that's why you can have i'll have you one of the assignments i'll have you do is listen to three different three different pastors preach on the same passage and you're going to hear three different kind of sermons. Now, the meaning, hopefully, will be the same, but the way it's delivered, the, way, the, the, the emphasis maybe, depending on that person's local context and the needs of the congregation, they may emphasize a certain portion of Scripture more than the other because of the needs that are there. You're going to hear it. It's going to be, well, they were all true and right, but, man, they were packaged differently and delivered differently. That makes this art. It's a craft. Like any other area of life, uh, you got to work on your craft, and uh, that's how this works. And so, um, so the difference, again, this will be, this will separate different sermons, and not the interpretation will be different. There's only one interpretation, but the uh, packaging and presenting may be very different. Okay? Um, and so they'll differ based on unique personalities, temperament, maturity, age, experience, giftedness. No two preachers, exposers are, are the same, or wired the same. No two are at the same place of their journey. Um, depending on where they are, even in their walk with the Lord, will will determine some of the facets of of how they deliver. And so we get to art, we talk about this part, we'll talk about outlining, we'll talk about introducing, concluding, transitions, and then we'll get into our last class, more oratory skill sets in terms of how to deliver it uh, from a verbal standpoint. And so what we're doing here is we're taking our raw materials that we've worked on, the science part, we're taking all the information that we've gathered and creating a finished presentable product, okay, that's what we're looking for. So as we think about that, now what is the danger? I ask you guys this: What's the danger of working hard on the science, okay, the study, getting it right, getting the right interpretation, and then not focusing on the art part and saying like that doesn't matter? Why, why is it important that we focus on both of those and not just the science part? Well, you can
1: prepare you can a sermon and then
0: uh, really feel badly about delivering and no
1: one gets a benefit. From it.
0: Right. Yeah. No, and, <clears throat> yeah. And to affect lives, I mean, and again, this is not, we're not undermining the power of the word of God. Now, that's, that's sometimes the argument will be like, well, who cares about the art part? It's the word of God, just present it, however you present it doesn't matter, you know? Um, so we're not undermining that, we're just saying that God has ordained that that his word be presented and crafted um, uniquely to given situations and cultures and contexts where we are, different centuries, everything else, so... Yeah, there's a there's a lot of things coming against you, right? I mean, you've got you've got Satan working to to steal and snatch the seeds away, right? That are dropped. You've got you got the person's own sin and struggles. You got their suffering, you know, hardships, health issues. You got the distractions of like mobile devices going on and people coughing and babies crying. I mean it it is an a, it is an impossible task. I mean, apart from the Spirit of God, but that's yeah, you have to labor pretty hard to try to make this presentable in a way that they want to hear what you have to say. Um, and it, I would say it's a sin to bore people with the Word of God. So I mean, if you just, <laughs> it is. I mean, I, was, I always remember that. With MacArthur would always say that you, you know, it's a sin to bore people with the Word of God. Don't bore them with it. It's not boring. You're, if you bore them with it, they're going to walk away thinking that the Scriptures are boring instead of you are boring because they connect those two together. So you want to be careful of that as well. Um, Jerry Vines, I gave you a quote there, he said, Sermon delivery is an important aspect of the preacher's work. At this point, many preachers fail. He says they may gather excellent material for their sermons. The sermon itself may be well organized, skillfully done. Yet when the preacher opens his mouth in the pulpit, the sermon dies. There is no positive, enthusiastic response. This must be corrected. The preacher must not only prepare his sermons well, he must deliver them well as well. All right, so let's get to preparation. We'll talk preparation first preparation uh we've already mentioned how much how prayer plays a part and we need the we need the spirit of god to open our eyes to see all right the script we talked about that the unbelievers are blind they can't see the glory of christ we want to have our eyes opened and we need the aid of the spirit of god to do that um so we are praying before we even open and start the start the process we talked about we're praying during the science part as we're reading we're asking god questions we're interacting with with god as we study the scriptures of the bible open praying with the bible open is really good uh, and at this part now, we're, we're praying as well. We're asking God to help us craft this. We've got this clay, this mound of clay that we've built up, right? All this information. God, help me to craft this in a way that it's appealing to people to look at, right? I want to create a, a, something that's museum-worthy here that actually people would actually want to come see. Um, I don't want to just dump a mound of clay out there and be like, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this wonderful, right? We want to craft it. So we need God's Spirit to guide us. Uh, in that process. So in doing that, one of the things we want to do here is to step back and to um, answer some key questions. So we're looking at this lump of clay all right, that we've got, this material that we have. We want to ask, we want to ask ourselves some, uh, some questions so that we know what we have before we dive into breaking it apart and make it into something. So a few questions we want to ask. We want to ask, what's the main point? Okay, so you've done all this study, you got all this information, you got commentary after verses, and you got facts, and you've got insight and history and all this different stuff you found. We want to ask the question, so what's the main point of the text? It is really good to, especially um, as you're looking at it, you're, you pull away from that, if you, you should be able to write like a one sentence, maybe even one paragraph summary of what you just found. Like what is, what is the main point of what I just did this work on? And so you want to be able to answer, because if you can't answer that, they're not going to understand what you're saying, right? <laughs> because you, if you don't know the purpose or the meaning behind what it is that you've studied, it, you know, the Spirit of God obviously can, can work through broken vessels. I get it. I'm sure God could do something with his word no matter no matter what happens. But it is important for us to be faithful. We need to make sure we answer the question, what's the main point? The other question you want to ask is, how do I support my findings? So all of this, the answer to these questions is going to help us as we get to like outlining and those kind of things. How do I support my findings? In other words, here's the here's the purpose. Here's the main point. How do I know that's the main point? Oh, okay. Here's how. So here again, another little paragraph would be helpful to write. Here's how, or bullet points. You can just here's how I can support. It's like a like a lawyer I'm trying to present my arguments, my case. Here's the case. Here's why the defendant is is innocent, and here are my reasons. So that's what you want to be able to answer uh, in a given text that you have. Another question is, what was going on? In the writing of the text. See, now we're just we're just rehearsing a little bit of all the stuff that we've kind of done. What was going on in the, in that the writing of the text? So here I'm getting making sure that I understand the history and the background of the passage we talked about hermeneutics. The, the historical interpretation is important. We believe that. That's why I have to answer this question. Do I know what was going on at the time of the writing? Again, maybe some bullet points would be helpful for that. Uh, and so this is going to help you. It's going to help you transition between the they call it the Ane the Ancient Near Eastern culture, two thousand years ago to modern day. But you got to know what the Ane, what the Ancient Near Eastern culture was going on, what was happening at that time. Uh, number four, what parallels do I find between the writer? So here we make a transition and readers and my intended audience. So here we're trying to build a bridge. Okay, so I understand the meaning. I can support my argument. Um, I know what was going on at that time. Now, how do I bridge? What was what's similar to what was happening with? The people in you know in Colossae and the book of Colossians. What what's similar with what's going on with my audience, right? So I'm making some comparisons here. again some bullet points would be helpful to to write out uh, what you find there. Number five, what is being demanded or called for from this text? What you're looking for is what is the what is the driving verbs? Because verbs are going to give you that, right? They're going to give you the what do you what do you what's demanded and called for, right? You're looking for your verbs. What's the Verbs move the text; they move it along, and so we need to know what the main verb is. Supporting verbs are behind that. Um, <clears throat> this will help you with well, later on. We talk about if you're going to bring authority when you preach, because part of preaching you have to preach with authority. Paul told us, and so if you're going to do that, you've got to make sure you understand what's being called for uh, in the text. Number six. Uh, what is the most effective way I can communicate the meaning of the text? So see, now we're we're making a transition here. We've gone into do I understand it? Do I understand the history? Are there some parallels? Um, do I have? Do I know what's being called for here now? Now, what's the most effective way I can communicate the meaning of this text? So here you're starting to begin to think creatively. You're thinking of the bridge between the ancient text and the people and your audience. Okay. You're thinking about the length of the bridge. You're thinking about the width of the bridge, the color of the bridge, support of the bridge. What's the best way I can communicate this uh, with them? And so at this point, what you want to maybe write down in your little bullet points is you're taking notes in your, your passage is here here's where you can start writing out some, some just some, some things that jump off the page to you, some things the Spirit of God led to you, like some illustrations, you know, some, some things, oh man, this would be a good way to connect and help explain this. Start listening, and you can come back later, and we'll talk about filling it all in, but this is a good spot to begin to put those things in. Because you'll find, as you study, the process is not cut and dry like a five-point process, and you, sometimes five comes when you're studying one, right? The conclusion to your sermon may come when you're, you know, you're in the middle of the study, and like, man, this, is, this thought came to my mind is a great way to conclude. <clears throat> hey, write it down. This is what you're doing here. You're writing down those thoughts uh, as you go. And lastly, number seven, um, we're looking at at uh, how is used the hero in this passage. And by that is how, how is he uh, pointed to? We're getting to that pulling the camera out picture. Like how does this all fit into the grander storyline? And so these seven answers will help give you move you to the crafting of the uh, of the of the sermon. All right. Any questions on that? All right. was so, so asking. Earlier, Dwayne, you asked me this one. The manuscript is we're going to look at. Um, I know there's no chapter or verse on that. It doesn't say in the Bible you must manuscript. Manuscript, by the way, if you don't know what that means, is you know, you're writing out your sermon, what you're going to say word for word, and it includes like your illustrations and everything It's just kind of written out. Um, I've always done that. That's the way I was taught, so I didn't know any different. So I'm kind of a kind of stuck in that habit because I've been doing it for 20 years. Uh, but I would never change it. I just absolutely love it, and I just want to give you a few reasons why I think it's I think it's helpful. Um, you just got to remember, if, if the kind of preaching we're talking about doing or teaching we're talking about doing is expository, I mean, we're going to go word by word, verse by verse, there's, and we're going to talk about history and grammar, right, the interpretation methods, the redemptive principle, there's a lot of information you're going to need to convey, and again, Spurgeon didn't do it, Spurgeon was a genius and he could recall everything from, from his mind and he came up with like a notepad with like three little points on it and off he goes, right? And it's the greatest thing you ever heard. And you're like, well, that's unique. We're not, you know, I don't think any of us in here are Spurgeon, right? So it's um, that was unique to him. So I wouldn't use him necessarily as an example to be like, well, he didn't, you know, didn't need an outline or didn't need a manuscript. So let me give you a few reasons for it, and I give you why I do it. Uh, number one is uh, clarity. So for me, this is I write myself clear. So if I if I can't write in a way that is clear to me good luck getting them to think it's clear, right? And so I'm writing to make myself clear. It's a good practice. Uh, you don't have to bring full manuscript into when you're teaching, but even if, you, even if you don't want to bring it up and you feel like it kind of binds you too much and you become too maybe wooden, it's hard to make a good delivery, I'd still do it as, as actually a practice in a, in a way of writing yourself clear. Um, it especially helps uh, to explain difficult passages if you're in difficult sections of scripture. It's, uh, it's helpful to do that. Another one uh, here is uh, called uh, Future Notes. When you, I've got 20 years of manuscripted sermons. They're 20 pages each. And I can't even tell you how many, how many of those. I used to keep them back in the day. I used to have them in folders. So they were like lined up on my shelf just uh, in folders. I, don't use, I use digital now. I never use paper anymore. But, but nonetheless, I still got them all. And they're great resources. I mean, they're like my own, my own commentaries, basically. And so I get to go back, especially when I'm in a similar passage um, if I'm teaching the Gospel of John, but I've already taught Matthew, you know, and um, and I've got a manuscript on, on on a passage that Matthew teaches that John also comment, comments on, I can go to that and look at it and go like, okay, that helps me in my study. It actually helps also in your preparation time. When you're first starting, it takes a long time to get. You know, you don't have a lot of you don't have a lot of resources built up, a lot of material built up. But over time, it becomes easier. Especially if you write it out. If you don't, then you. You know, you'll never have that to recall again unless you have a photographic memory and you're just going to remember everything you ever said before. Um, because it's not photographic memory. It's, uh, was that an audiological memory, maybe? <laughs> um, photographic. Phonographic. Phonographic. There we go. I yeah. was thinking like of ideology. Um, and so anyway, so it'll help you in that way. And also helps you with cross-references. So at times, if you're like, it's a there's a principle you're getting in this passage that you know you covered that principle in a previous sermon, we can go look at that principle and gain some insights from your, your study in that. Uh, number three, uh, protection. Uh, times. Um, when you go to teach or preach, you don't feel well. There'll be times where you don't feel well. There'll be times where you... You'll just wake up and just your mind's cloudy, not very clear thought. Sometimes there's a lot of things in life. Maybe on the way to church or whatever, you know, the kids are yelling and screaming and fighting, and you know you're trying, and you're like, oh, you're trying to handle that, and you got to go step into the, to the pulpit to preach something or into your classroom to teach something. You're like, oh my word, I'm I'm so scattered right now. My brain is so all over the place. This is a I call it like Linus's security blanket. You know, for me, I do it because I just it's just like a security blanket. There have been times where I've, you know, I remember I was planting church in L.A., and I remember I had one, once I had sinus surgery on Friday, and so I was all, like, swollen and everything else. And then I, it was a church plant. I mean, I'm looking at about a 150, like, babies. I had nobody that could, that none of them could teach yet. I mean, they were all, like, new believers. they are like, okay, i got to do this. So I'm up there. I had written it. So at least I could barely see. My eyes were I was blurry. Like my eyes were blurry from the surgery and everything. And it probably was the worst sermon ever preached. But you know I did it. Um, I remember one time I had this came in handy. Um, I was one time I was getting up to preach, and literally I'd just gotten up. And, I was, and this is when I had paper, and I'd just gotten up and opened the Bible. And one of one of the um, one of my my lay pastors came forward to to the pulpit, which is very unusual. Like, what what what's going on? You know, it comes to me whispers in my ear that one of one of our members had just died, and. Um, long it was a it's a long story to tell, but it, it was l a and it was you know he was he had drug over it was a drug overdose, and I could tell you the story later, but nonetheless it was pretty tragic and it was a mess and um i need you know I needed to go so I'm like, here you go so I gave it to him and so he just read it that was a sermon he read my sermon'cause i had it I had the manuscript right so at least you know he he can do it and that helps you know obviously him to stand up there and go like, okay, let's talk about something. Um, boom! And he just read it, and so, so that sometimes it helps in that way too. Uh, number four, uh, I'd say spirit. What I mean by that is, is um, uh, sometimes it can be a faulty thought that uh, the spirit of God is just going to zap you with some special insights when you get up there, right? I don't need anything, any notes. I just, you know, I've studied, I've done the work. And I'm just going to get up there and let the spirit lead. Uh, I think that's a little, little naive uh, to do that. Um, I think it's also to undermine the thought of like, well, cannot the Spirit of God actually work through the process of the study, the manuscript, and the writing out process? So uh, don't underestimate that part. Uh, Number five, uh, words. Uh, Mark Twain once said this, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. So it's (laughs) completely different. Words are important. If you're going, you're talking about these sermons that you're reading, right? You're not hearing Spurgeon preach, you're not hearing Whitfield, you're not going to hear Ryle, but you're going to read them, and they're going to be moving, and they're going to be powerful Why? their words, right? Their choice of words, and how they use them, when they use them, how often they use them. And so words are going to be super important. So if you're going to do that, I can't tell you, this is where, I think, next to my Bible, the next thing I use the most outside my Bible is a thesaurus. Like, I'm always looking up synonyms of words to say it differently, Right? And so, um, and so we're always kind of just trying to get the best words I could use for this, this, to explain this. Well, if you're going to do that, I mean, again, writing that out is going to help you, um, especially if you write it all out and you look and you go like, well, I've said this word in this sermon 25 times. I probably should say something different. Same idea. me may, may plug in a different word there, right? So it's helpful uh, in that. Um, you know, think about it this way. John Owen, what did, John Owen wrote, a, wrote uh, was a Puritan. He had a famous statement that he said, um, "Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you." That's a pretty powerful way of putting it, right? What if he said, "Rid your life of sin, because it's important for Christian growth." Doesn't sound nearly the same. same same point, but man, kill sin lest it be killing you is like whoa. That's a that's very graphic, right? That, it's grabbing. What's well, just the language? It's words that he used, and so those are important. Um, in the manuscripting balance and shape uh this helps uh, manuscripting helps you keep balance you want to try to keep your we'll talk about this when we get to, to making outlines you want to kind of keep if you've got a say three points in your outline you want to devote as much as you can similar time to each one you don't want to have like one and then two threes at the very you know real quick at the very end because then you no one ever gets two and three because you spend so much time on one right so you want to kind of balance those out well when you write a manuscript, you look at it and you go like, okay, I devoted six pages to point one, and I got one page for point two and you know, one page for point three. It's like, oh, I probably need to either, either maybe delete a little bit in this one, add some more meat in this one to kind of just keep it a little better balance, a better balanced diet, I guess you'd say, before uh, the people. Um, number seven, punctuality. Uh, this it helps you with time. If you write it out, you know exactly how long it's going to take you to present it. Um, you want to honor people's time in that way. And what I mean by that is not just honor their time because that's a good principle. If your listeners are coming and they, they know, okay, I'm going to be listening to you for 45 minutes. That's what they're used to. That's what they're used to. So if you get in there and you go an hour and a half, <laughs> you've lost them, right? They're, they're gone after about, maybe they'll give you a little fudge over a little bit, you know, uh, maybe 50 minutes. But, man, you get... You get up to an hour, they're like, it's lunchtime, whatever. I mean, they're just used to, people are creatures of habit. And so if you write it out, then you know, based on how many pages, I do five minutes per page, I know how long I've got. And so that helps you when you write it out and go like, okay, I've got way too much material, i got to cut it down. You're always going to find that's the case, okay? The Bible is rich, and there's so much there. When you study, you're going you're gonna to benefit more than they will. Because you're going to find so much more, than what you have time to say. And so the manuscript's going to help you make sure you don't go too long on any given point or doesn't um, and, and again, doesn't keep the people too long in that way. Or you get right? to land the plane. Yes, or get to land the plane, absolutely. Yeah. You're just going on. You just keep you keep rounding. Um, yeah, and, and with that too, um, it, this it helps you edit, because you, you're going to want to edit your sermon, right? Um, if, if you write it out, you can go back and edit. You can read. You read it out loud to yourself. You're like, ah, oh, it didn't make any sense. I mean, you'll find that. I, mean, I do that all the time. I'll read, read my sermon. i am done my first draft. I'm like, yeah, it didn't make any sense. I don't know what I was thinking with that point or that illustration or whatever. It didn't quite tie in there very well as well as I thought it did. My original thought, was, I guess, was like, oh, this is wonderful. And then later on, I read it in the whole body of it and go, yeah, now that doesn't, that doesn't sit well. Or maybe the tone of it wasn't, didn't quite fit the tone of the sermon. I don't know that until I'm done with everything, right? So, in a manuscript, I can go back and read it, edit it, take things out, remove things, add things. Lastly, um, number eight, accuracy. It just helps you get it right. I, I just know I, that's my. Th- I get up in, in and I'm going to preach the Bible. I know that I'm held accountable. Again, we talked about you, teachers will encourage stricter judgment. Man, I want to make sure I get it right. I want to get it right. I don't want to get it wrong. Okay. Not because I mean, I'm just like absolutely terrified that God's going to zap me with lightning at that point if I get it wrong. I, I want to honor God. I want to, I want to represent God well. I want to glorify God in that way. Um, but also, no, I will give an account for how I handled it. And so manuscripting helps me make sure that I handle it right, <laughs> that I got the right. I'm not up there just shooting from my hip and saying things that are erroneous and wrong. Uh, this
1: is great. I agree with this. But what about uh, contact? If, if you... If you uh... Reading your manuscript, do you have as much contact with the audience as you would
0: if you just had it it, it depends. You know, there, there's a give and take on that. And, and then one thing I'm not advocating is just to get up there and just read the whole thing and never make eye contact because eye contact's going to be important. Um, you know, and, and there is the 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 oratory skill of not having anything in front of you and just standing and talking is going to be. You know, that's a powerful oratory skill. That's why Spurgeon was so good. He didn't need anything. He didn't need any of this stuff. He just could just talk to you and talk to everybody and go on and it'd just be perfect. Um, so for me, it's like a little bit of a trade-off. I know I'm not going to be as dynamic from the oratory standpoint, but, I, but I'm going to default. I want to be accurate first um, as being my main objective. Uh, when I, I bring a manuscript in, I go through and I highlight. So even like right now as I'm talking to you, you know, mine's got, I got yellow highlights on the points I actually am going to say. The other stuff I'm not actually quite saying, but I kind of remember generally some of those things. The yellow makes sure I'm on. I'm on. I'm keeping pace. My highlight. When I did it on paper, I used to, you know, highlight things. I would red, red circle things or you know bold things or italics things. All questions I put in the italics. All major points or major things I want to make sure I say bold. Um, and then I just highlight in yellow to kind of keep myself making sure I'm on pace and I'm on the right spot. That's kind of just methods. I I put little, you know, a lot of times I will make an illustration. If I was had paper, I would I would usually put like a little window, a little red window there, to to re, to help me realize, oh yeah, I'm an illustration. A lot of illustrations, I don't read them because they're usually our story or hopefully something I I can just talk about without having to to go that way.
1: Have you ever preached in, and and uh, maybe got a different change your your direction because you can tell that the audience wasn't. Like
0: yes. Constantly. Yeah, I have. I have not completely abandoned the manuscript, but I have at times realized that was enough for that point. I realized I've kind of hit, I beat that dead horse, <laughs> and I realized that I'm starting to lose people. I'm just going to skip ahead and go to the next one. I've done that before. Um, I've added some illustrations before because I realized people kind of got this look. You know, the heads kind of tilted sideways, like I'm not getting what you're saying. And I'm going, okay, let me think of a different. I thought this would work, what I had written down, but apparently it's not because people are looking at me with that question mark. Let me, in my mind. And that's a dynamic thing about teaching. is like I've got in my one, one side of my brain is like going off of what I've written. The other side, I'm dialoguing with God. <laughs> uh, Lord, help me here and help me communicate this differently. Apparently, this is not working, right? So I'm having this dual conversation going on. Mouth's coming out this way, thoughts going that way. Um, there's a lot going on during that time, but yes, so I have, and sometimes I've actually things that I've cut out of my study that I thought, ah, I'm not going to bring that part up. I just find sometimes it's like the spirit wanted me to actually use that. And next thing it's in my head and like, oh, wow, well, I didn't plan on talking about that, but okay, let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. So, so there are times definitely, it's not a, I'm not chained to it, but it's a nice, especially from a preparation standpoint, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Whether you take it with you or not is is different, but preparation is really important. I was just going to say you you won't know as much about how the audience is reacting if your nose is buried in the sure. script. be sure familiar with it, memorize as much as you can. Yep. Yeah. But it sounds like to me though you're using you're not reading word for word. Something. No, I'm not you're, it's concepts.
1: It's all there. It's the word there. for word's
0: there, but you're adding in some of your own
1: words because you're not saying that word, or are you? You just know what it's going to say because you've written
0: it? Right, I mean, I've memorized portions okay. of it already, right? So I've memorized good chunks of it. I have it all with me to make sure I'm just on pace and I'm at the right place. Because uh, sometimes, you know, I did this a few weeks ago, sometimes I was I would talk about something and I realized, like, oh, no, that was that was for the next point. <laughs> you know what I'm you saying? Know. I've, I've done that before, you know? I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, where am I, oh, you God. know? Um, so... Well, you know, because it's interesting, because that, you know, our new curriculum for life group is written out. And mm-hmm. The reality is, is, if you wanted to, you could read down. Through. But I find that hard. I can't. Mm-hmm. This whole mm-hmm. manuscripting is going to be hard for me, because I'm not. that So it'll be a good discipline. Yeah, it, it, like I said, I'm not advocating you just get up there and just read it, yeah. you know, head down. I'm just saying that's a great way of preparing yourself to make sure you're clear. I said the number one thing here, I put down, clarity. It just, I find writing myself clear, going back and reading what I'm going to say. Though I may not say everything that I'm reading, right? I, I, there are some some, uh, some ways of, of you know, going off of that, but, all right, am I clear? Is this clear? Does this make sense to me? Because if it doesn't make sense to me, it's not going to make sense to them, right? That's and even if it's on. clear to me, it's still not going to be clear to them, but they got a better chance, you know? That's
1: what I was going to emphasize. Oftentimes, even in other aspects of life, you're talking to someone, when people think the idea is clear when it's in their mind, mm-hmm. you say, well, can you write that down? Uh, and when people, you, you get
0: them to try to articulate it, it's not as clear as they think. Yeah. So yep. I, mean, I say all the time at work. It's like, well, can you write, write down what you're actually thinking or saying or mm-hmm. proposing? And you can watch the person try to struggle to put it in words. And yep. It's not as clear as you thought it was. Yep. It? <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, I, when I was when I was first starting, my wife was my, uh, you know, unfortunately was my guinea pig of like, hey, let me let me, let me me read this. Does this make sense to you? <laughs> so I would like use her a lot. I don't do that anymore, but I used to a lot because I just needed another person's ideas and it's making sense to me. Is this making sense to you? Yeah. So, all right. Um, number three there, the reading of Scripture. Um, obviously, the Word of God's meant to be read, right? So we, we see as part of that even there in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says to devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. I think he's given us there the entire preaching process, Okay. And scripture reading is part of that process. So that is important. Um, don't, don't underestimate just the power of reading it. I mean, I, I told you this last time, but I mean, think about it. That's the, that's the one time in the entire service where they're literally just going to hear God speak. Unadulterated, unfiltered, boom, here it is. Here's here. That's why when we do reading scripture, we say this is the reading of God's word. And that was the reading of God's word because that's a very special bracketed time where there's no no commentary by man, no insights or illustrations or introductions or conclusions or outlines. It's just here it is. You know, let, as the spiritual would say, let the lion go. He can defend himself. Alpha goes. Um, you know, I gave you a passage there. Nehemiah. You can see the effect uh, down at the end of uh, that passage. They lift up their hands. They bowed their heads. They worshipped. Just just the reading of it. Just a reading of the word of God. In Nehemiah nine. They they stood. For a quarter of the day, and for another quarter, they made confession and worship the Lord just by just by reading that. Um, and they were reading like Mosaic law too. I mean, we're talking, <laughs> you know, when the when the donkey falls in the you know the ox falls in the gully you know in the in the ditch kind of stuff. And they were confi- confessing and worshiping God in light of that. Uh, a couple principles in for the reading of it. Uh, number one, uh, read with I call it weightiness. The way you read the scriptures communicates how you view the scriptures. So if you just do it casually or flippantly or, you know, stumble over words and like, oh, whatever, and you kind of keep, you're communicating your conviction, at least that's how they're seeing it, uh, of the word of God. So you want to make sure you uh, remember that you're reading the very words of God to eternal beings out there. Uh, Number two, read with preparation. Just make sure you you know, sometimes there's things in the Bible that are hard to pronounce, right? So if you're reading the genealogies, you know, good luck, Yeah, but that's it, sometimes it's hard. My my conviction, by the way, is just a total footnote to that. If you're reading yeah. something, you're not quite sure how to pronounce it, sometimes, you know, I go to YouTube sometimes, and there's, you know, how do you pronounce so-and-so, and then I give me like a little 30-second, sometimes it's a British accent, I'm like, oh, that's not helping me, you know, <laughs> but there, that'd be, you know, sometimes there's places that will actually give you um, insight on how to say it, but find a way to say it there is no sometimes inspired way to say people's names sometimes you get into luke and acts you start reading tetraks and all these different names of people and you're like uh i don't know how to say that exactly just say it with conviction okay <laughs> figure out how you're going to say it and just say it 90 percent of the people aren't going to 95 percent of the people aren't going to think aren't going to think a single thing about it they're just going to move right on they're going to assume that's how it's said right? And I, this is my MacArthur thing. If you're 75% sure how it's said, 100%, <laughs> say it. But don't you know, don't get up there and be like, oh, I think it, You know, uh, I think it's pronounced this way. No, don't do that. Just find a way to say it, best you can, and then just say it the way you're going to say it, and just move. Um, it just, it just when you start fumbling around with words up there, you, again, it kind of communicates to the audience member. It doesn't mean it's true, but to the audience member, it's like, well, I guess they're not very well prepared. They didn't really... They really take this very seriously. I and mean, there's all kinds of thoughts that go in people's heads when you're up there bumbling around. <laughs> you're trying to figure out how to say a word. Um, so just have conviction on it. And, and when I have to read scripture publicly <laughs> for thing, especially the genealogies that yes. <laughs> Justin stuck me with, um, you know, I printed it out on paper, um, you know, from a website or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then. A lot of times I'll rewrite it if I've actually got a printed version of it because a lot of times I, I read from the printed part I've got on my screen. I'll, a lot of times I'll rewrite it in ways that I yep. you, know, ways that, you know, the ways that I hear it. Right. So it's not spelled rightly but it's spelled in you know, from a pronunciation standpoint where I can... Phonetically. Yeah, phonetically. Uh, number three, uh, read with emphasis. Uh, this is going to... If you're, you're the one delivering it, right? So you're reading it. Um, determine ahead of time what will be emphasized. You already know where you're going with this text, right? You've already prepared this part. You've written. You know what you know where you're going. Um, so based on what your main points are or what your outline is, you want to uh, help the audience take note of key parts of the passage as you read it. Okay? So uh, you can use a pause. If you, if you read something, you get to a point, and you're like, that's a really important point. You can kind of take a little extra pause after that let people st- sit with them for a second before you move on, because that's a point you really want to emphasize. Well, let them realize that, by just don't say, and, okay, and this is a really important part, listen closely. <laughs> just read it, but just if you pause for a moment at, at certain points, people will get, oh, okay. Or if you kind of raise your voice at certain points, if there's repetition in the passage, if you go to Psalm 42, for example, and David says the same thing twice, you know, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Um, if you read both of those the same way, Uh, Maybe differently, they read the rest in terms of your 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 voice and and, um, influx of your voice, or the the depth of it, or the speed of it, or whatever will help communicate. Oh, that was oh he just said that, didn't he? You know, they'll pick it up by how you read it. They'll they'll realize oh you you, oh you just the way you read that the way you read that oh he did say the same thing. They're already making connections in the passage that you want them to make just by how you read it. So that's that's why that's an, an important aspect. Um, it depends. I mean, you, you don't want to be overly dramatic, right? That you're, you kind of are, you're becoming the performance, yeah. right? So, um, but there, there's times where I would vary my voice based on, if I'm reading in the Gospel of John, and I'm reading, say, you know, you, John said this, and then turn, Jesus turned and he said, I'll usually pause for a second, because it's kind of, wait, what did Jesus say? Not Not that I'm trying to give a wrong idea of the inspiration of Scripture. Obviously, what John said, you said, are going to be inspired, but just, I'm going to kind of bring a little weight to that, or I may read that a little differently, or in Exodus, and God speaks from the burning bush, you know. I mean, it's there's some weightiness aspects to it, you know. Uh, read with pace, number four. Uh, this is um, realizing you don't want to read too fast. I still have a problem with just talking fast. It's just always, I am literally five times slower than I used to be so if you think I'm fast now um I remember I had Aunt Eunice was her name I remember bless her heart she was, what was she 85 and she was in the she was my gauge and I had little notes I'd keep and I'll talk about this later we get to the oratory parts I had little notes to you know I was clicking my you know my tongue too much I was I'd say um too much or uh, I would go too fast, and I had these little notes. No one knew this. I had them sticky notes all over the pulpit that just were. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Stop doing that. I'm doing it, now, aren't I? But she would always be the ones for pace for me because I would be looking at her, and she would kind of, you know, it was she give me this look of like, all right. I knew exactly. I'm going way too. F-. She's not. She's not hearing me because I'm talking too fast. So she always, I always told her that she was my gauge, you know, for understanding that. Um, also, if you got, you know, if you have an accent and you're in a different part of the country with a different accent, well, you need to realize that they're going to have a harder time hearing you. So you need to kind of maybe go a little slower, whatever else. Just bear, you know, make sure your pace is good in terms of when you're reading it. Have you ever
1: uh, practiced your sermon on a tape recorder? Oh,
0: yeah. Did I, that help you? It's brutal. Uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> the, the worst part, one what, of what my professors made us do was, uh, I thought about doing this with you, but uh, if you want to, you can. But what uh, we did we recorded it. And he made us go back and watch it, the whole thing, take notes on, you know, your your oratory skill part. But then he wanted us to then go back and then fast forward it ten times as fast and go through it and watch yourself. And the reason he to do that because he wanted to get to mannerisms. Because sometimes you lean on certain, you know, you're doing this number and all of a sudden this fa- fast it You're just, you get the same motion. You don't realize it, but you fast forward and you realize, man, I'm like flapping like a bird up there. My arms are doing the same thing every time. And you're just trying to learn to. To balance your hands and how you use them and things like that, so so the videotape can be helpful. Like I said, it's brutal and to, to watch yourself, listen to yourself, but it's, fast forwarding, it's actually really really fascinating to learn your your mannerisms. Um, so uh, read with expression. I was talking about this a second ago. Emotion, tone, um, emphasize with with appropriate volume, passion, pitch, pace. Uh, utilizing the pause is, is really important with certain parts there. Number six, read with honor. Uh, This is, we do it here. Uh, This is the way I've always done it. I just, I like it. I did Nehemiah's day. He had him stand, you know, and I just like that part. Just stand for the reading of God's word. I mean, they did it. I always say if it's a problem, it's like, well, they did it for a quarter of the day. So we're only talking like three to five minutes here. It's okay. We can handle it. We can do it. (laughs) So uh, I like to, to have them stand. I always say the, we do it here, right? This is the reading of God's word. And then we finish. This was the reading of God's word. It's just brackets. To kind of conclude, like that was God's word speaking to us. Yeah.
1: there, you know, the president of the United
0: States came somebody high authority. Right. Absolutely. Yep. All right, introductions. Let's talk introductions here. All right, this will be fun. Um, Introduction to a sermon is going to be uh, crucial uh, for your audience to, to capture their attention or lose them. You got five minutes right, at most, to where they're going to go like, okay, I want to hear what he has to say, or I don't want to hear what he has to say. So the introduction is going to be vitally important for us. Uh, they're going to decide, you know, um, you know. unfortunately, it's just the way it goes. I know it shouldn't be that way, but they're going to decide mentally. They might get up and walk out, but mentally they're going to decide, oh, okay, it's a good time for a nap, or <laughs> or okay, I'm, I'm really interested in this. So that's why introductions are really, really important. Uh, you want to pique their interest uh, you've got a, you got a lot of freedom in this one. Probably the most freedom of any part of the, the, the part we'll do is the introduction. Be creative in how we do it. Lots of different ways to do it. Okay. So let's look at some principles here. Uh, number one, uh, capture the imagination. Uh, you want to tell stories with, with imagery and vivid descriptions. You want them to not only see what you're saying, you don't want them just to visualize it. That's good. They can visualize what you're saying. That's good. But if they can feel what you're saying, it's a whole different ballgame. You've you've got them right. You've you've hooked them in. They're they now have they're emotionally invested in what you just gave an introduction, and now they're like, okay, I want to see where this goes. Um, and so this is it. Just kind of learn to capture the imagination with, with the story. Number two, uh, stir personal feelings. Again, make sure that in your introduction that the person each person sitting out there feels like, okay, this this is this is applicable to me. this is going to a place that means something to me that may not always mean it'll personally apply to them You, know, you may be talking about grief right your theme may be suffering, and maybe the person's thinking well i 'm not really suffering but you you've said it and you you set the introduction in a way that they know somebody who's suffering they can help they know they may you know especially if i 'm doing suffering I may say like you know you may not be suffering today but Guarantee you it's coming. Or you've been there before. You know what suffering's like. So you're appealing to make sure everybody is on on the plane with you when the stain takes off. They want to be on board. They want to go um, in that way. Uh, number three, uh, instigate wonder and awe. Uh, this is, you can do this through stories. Sometimes you can use pictures or you can use videos. Um... You know, example of this may be you know explaining the depths of the universe and the galaxies and giving descriptions of stars and distances and all of that. Uh, sometimes it can be you know, explain the intricacies of the human eye, right? So you're giving some wonder and awe, and you're explaining how how all that works. You're trying to capture their imaginations and wonder. Uh, number four, appeal to the past, um, involve their appreciation of the past. It's especially good for older audiences, right? Telling things of back when, um, that they'll, they'll enjoy reminiscing about certain parts. You'll capture their attention just because you're telling a story of, you know, when they were younger and they love that, you know, part of, uh, part of, um, that life. It could be an old sports story, an old historical event that took place. Uh, number five, stir anxiety for the future. Sometimes explain how things could be or will be in the future. It has a way of grabbing people's attention, um, you know, proper fear and it promotes your hearers to want hope. They wanna they want to have a solution, right? So you stirred some fears of like, oh no, this is crisis coming back anytime. And you've kind of given this introduction, all right, I, I need I need some hope here. Calm my fears. Help me out here. Right? So you want them. That's the whole goal of introduction for them to you know, one author said it's like if you have a good introduction, you should be able to read the introduction and then sit down and people go like, No, 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 get back up there and solve this for me right <laughs> you you need to give me Give me a solution to that, right? So you want to stir that inside of them. Uh, Number six, uh, awaken uh, indignation. This is maybe telling stories of injustice that have occurred, right? And you're kind of appealing to that, and they kind of get inwardly, like, uh, a little hot, you know, about it. Um, That's good. This is what Nathan did with David. Remember that story, right? Oh, there was this, you know, it was an instant story. You know, this little sheep, this poor guy got a stolen king, you know. You're the man. You know, he kind of turned it on him, like, whoa, hold on. But it was it was building, and David's like, "Where is that guy? Let's I'm gonna kill him." And Nathan's like, "What? Well, it's you." <laughs> so you know that's a way of kind of awakening that inside of, inside of them. Uh, number seven, their prompt compassion, uh, pulling the heartstrings in terms of giving them stories of of brokenness, having them if you can have them feel empathy for the for a person if you're telling a story about a person, having them feel the empathy for that, feel sorry as it were for that person. Oh, I want to help that person. Right? So now you're getting there, you're, you're grabbing them, uh, they want to make a difference, and so then you can give them the solution to that as the, as the sermon rolls out. Uh, different kinds of introductions here on page 10. Uh, I'll give you some different ones. You've got uh, a human, is- human interest account. Think of like a news story. People love to hear a story. Um, and so if you can involve your personal life in a story, that's helpful too. Having them get to know you, relate to you in that way is helpful. Um, The striking story can immediately engage the listener to the sermon. Uh, It's a good occasion um, to do that. I would say the one warning to that, a caveat to that, be careful of being the hero of all your stories, okay? People pick up on that eventually and realize this guy's not real. How in the world is he the hero of all the stories that he tells? Um, If you're going to use someone else that's in your audience as a story, always ask permission, even if you're like, oh, they won't mind. I've done it before, and they have minded and kind of got me in trouble. <laughs> you know, so this is especially true of your family, okay? So if you're going to use an illustration of your life or illustration of your children, make sure that you ask them um, permission for that if you're going to use a story about them. And so this is, again, one of those ways of, of building bridges from the congregation to the biblical text. Your story is kind of taking them. You're starting in the, in the present, and you're working your way back. To get into the text, uh, historical accounts. Again, this is just using instances from history, the history, church history, American history, sports history. These can be great ways of, of bringing about uh, introductions, a declaration or startling statements. You know, to start a sermon off with a statement can be pretty powerful. You know, um, and you could say, you know, apart from Christ, you will perish. And they just kind of stand there for a second. <laughs> You're like, whoa, that's that's a little. Provocative. That's a that's a strong statement. That kind of grabs their attention. You can't do that every time, right? This is the whole thing. You got to vary your approaches. You can't do the same approach every time. All right, here comes a startling statement to open up his sermon. You know, then it doesn't mean anything. It's not startling anymore because they expect it. Um, sometimes, um, yeah, I, it can be good. I, I, I preached a sermon before where I had the there's a thing called the death clock where you can put in like like your age and medical issue whatever. and It'll kind of give you your countdown to how yeah. long you have to die, basically. I've had that running in the background before as I started opening up the sermon to talk about death. You know, I'm like, well, we got, we've lost. You know, it's just kind of it's going down. You know, it's like people are like kind of panicking. Like we're like, I mean, literally losing time right now. We're closer to death now than we were like two seconds ago. And so, just you know, finding ways to kind of capture their attention sometimes can be a little dramatic. You can't do that a lot, but occasionally you can. Provocative questions can be good. Thought-provoking questions, uh, rapid-fire series of questions can be good ways to start. Uh, J.C. Rowell wrote a uh, wrote, had a sermon on prayer. And his whole opening introduction, his first first thing he says in his introduction is, "Do you pray? Do you pray?" And he said like three times, "Do you pray?" Um, yeah, I think I do. And he goes into like more specifics. Do you pray like this? Do you pray like that? Do you pray then? And he's kind of just, it's just a bunch of questions to make people start thinking, and all of a sudden they're realizing like, "Oh no, like I don't I don't really pray." <laughs> Help me. Okay, now we can get it. So that's what you want. You want people to kind of have that that interest uh, number five creating a problem addressing or creating a crisis in the introduction can have dramatic effect a controversy um, or addressing a problem common to the listeners in your audience can cause them to listen attentively to find the solution to your proposed problem sometimes this can be a cultural event that's taking place um, like i said maybe an injustice or something that's going on that makes people kind of feel that like yeah that's really not good that's bad that happened All right, let's talk about what the Bible says about these kind of things. Uh, Six quotes can be helpful. Uh, This can come from books that you've read. Uh, It's critical that when you do do a quote, don't make them too long. You lose people. They're like, okay, I lost third sentence. I'm gone. Checked out. Um, So uh, long quotes tend to lose them. It's very important that you're a vivacious reader. If you want to be a good teacher, be a good reader. Those just have to go together. If you're going to teach the Bible, read not just the Bible, but read books about the Bible, and about history, and about things like that, so that you have a more rich kind of volume to pull from, uh, in that way, uh, keep collection, I, have sort of, uh, when I early on started, I remember this is, I've gone through methods of technology, right, so when I first started, I had a filing cabinet with, with printed out, you know, newspaper articles that I was reading, I'm like, oh, that's, that'll be great, and I had files, I had them under, you know, different subjects, and I found some I was reading, I was like, oh, that's really good, I cut that out of the newspaper and stick it in my files, so I had a Filing cabinet full of just articles, good introduction stuff on specific subjects. Um, you know, if I was in a, reading a book and I'm highlighting, a, that's, a great, that's a great quote on this subject or a great illustration, I would take that and put it in there. Now I, I do it all kind of digitally in that way. Um, but it can be helpful. I, I do a lot, of, um, a lot of my quotes. I actually do, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll put quotes on Facebook, not for really anybody else. They're just for me, just to catalog them so I can go back and find them. And I just kind of list them all out. Um, especially when I'm reading a good book, I'll just start just just rapid-fire reading, uh, you know, putting quotes on there just so I can remember them from later. So they're not really for anybody else. They're really for me, <laughs> if you see them. Uh, yep, yeah. if you benefit from it, that's great. That's the same with the preaching, right? Hey, if you benefit from it, wonderful. I benefited from it, so, you know. Uh, number seven, statistics uh, can be a good way of starting off. Again, you just got to vary your approach. Don't be a statistical introduction person. So every time you're reading off statistics to begin your sermon, that's not generally appealing to people. They don't like just hearing numbers, but it can be a good it can be a good introduction if you're saying like research has said you know today people believe this. You know I've done it. I preached on hell. Like I've talked about the beginning. Like you know X amount of people or you know percentage of people don't even believe hell exists anymore. You know, and or so many people believe this. And so it can be helpful. Again, uh, vary your approach. Don't always bombard them with with numbers. Um, you'll have numbers of people in your congregation that love it. Not a lot of people are super numbers driven uh, in that way. Number eight, biblical accounts. Sometimes you can use, you can, if you're in a passage, you can use a, another story in the scriptures to illustrate or start off an introduction of your sermon. I, I preached on Isaiah 6 on, on Isaiah, um, you know, coming to the throne room, seeing God's glory. I, I introduced that sermon one time by going to, starting off in Luke, uh, I think, Luke 5 where Peter is on the boat, he realizes Jesus' glory, he falls on his knees, and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And I kind of just told that story, I didn't read it, I just kind of just told the story, uh, and kind of get people to imagine it, and then I went to, imagine what it was like to see, see, see Christ in his glory. Well, Isaiah had that experience. Alright, so all right. So I've captured their attention by telling the story, by using another biblical story or count to do that. Uh, the parable. Don't be afraid to write your own parable, by the way. That was a great, I remember in classes, they made me write parables. I had to write them. One oh, of my professors loved it. So he would always have us write them write them out, write our own out uh, in that way. Um, you know, I remember having to do one on the inspiration of Scripture. And I was doing, you know, um, trying to communicate and say, okay, write a parable on how to communicate, you know, the inspiration of Scripture. I'm like, oh boy, yeah.
1: So I'm going. Out, I remember being on
0: the farm. We had these, we had the creeks, and I'm starting explaining creeks and explaining the farm. And we'd take these sticks and shave them off, and we'd put them at the beginning of the creek, and then we would all, all our cousins, we would just chase it down, and we have a creek race, you know, the the stick race, and we're running down, and following them, and it'd go up and over, and, and we, you know, it, and that's the carried along. It's how it was in Second Peter one where it says, you know, the Spirit carried the writers along, and that was how I was introducing. You know the idea of inspiration, or idea of you know being carried along. I was using a story of a farm and a creek and a childhood story. You know, that, that that kind of thing grabs people's attention. It's a, it's a parable. Um, number ten, poetry. I uh, say poetry. I'm not just speaking of just literal like book poetry, though that could be helpful. Um, a lot of poetry that people remember. You're preaching to an audience now. A lot of the poetry they know is usually song, right? Now it could be hymns, or it can be more even more modern music. Uh, finding things that they are listening to or things that they understand, um, using that to to introduce can be helpful. Many um, Meaning, your audience will consume a great amount of movies and music. You know, they just will, and um, and so if you can find ways to to appeal to that medium that they already are, you know, in and, and uh, is is helpful. So, when I was in L.A., I mean, it was just one of those. I don't do it here as near as much as I did there. I probably used a movie illustration almost every sermon because everybody in my audience was like a grip on on set, or they were actor, actresses, writers, or direct. I mean, they were just like a ton of them. So I'm like, oh, this is their world. So I just need to dive into that world and figure out how I can pull this and pull that. it got to be careful in those. I did learn my lesson. Don't give spoilers to films that people haven't watched. <laughs> done that before and have people upset at me like no i hadn't seen that movie yet um because a lot of times especially conclusions like you're gonna find conclusions deductions are similar similar things but i mean i gave gave a movie you know a lot of times movies a lot of them end with a redemptive theme you know it was a hero who dies on behalf of someone else and so i would tell the story obviously you got to tell the whole you know the whole thing <laughs> tell hey, say spoiler alert no um Number eleven, uh, object lessons. This can be helpful too. At the beginning, you can use physical objects. You can use video. You can use pictures. You can use people. Um, and I've used, and it was an illustration, but it would work for an introduction. I brought Eric Hampton up on stage one Sunday, talking about the Father's hands and how we're in Christ's hands. And I had Calvin up there, my youngest son. You know, I wanted to use you know, Eric's big hands. You know, like little Calvin's hands. It's like there's no way Calvin's hands are coming out of there. Oh, you know, they see that. That's a visual presentation. Uh, for them, and you can do that as a way of introducing those accounts. Um, I think that will bring us to our conclusion here. Not a very good job of landing the plane in the middle of it. this is not a good way to do a sermon, by the way. It's just stop. But that's what we're going to have to do because I want to I want to get to page eleven talk about those in more detail there. Okay. All right. So we'll um, we won't be meeting next Sunday. Um, Yep, and so we will be, the following Sunday, we'll be together, and we'll, we'll pick up here, and uh, I think that's the 11th, right? I think it's the next, the I next think, Sunday. I think that's, that's the one you canceled. Oh, is that, so yeah, we have two weeks off. Okay, all right, all right.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. well, yeah, that's, well, that's why, I, so I, I put on the hub, I put the whole, um, the whole class I'll teach on teaching on canicity, which I figured, you, know, you can just read that. Uh, since some of you guys, guys are going to be gone, it would be better to, let's just give you that. You can read that, and let's get into more of the nuts and bolts stuff here. So, um, all right. So, we'll pick up on page 11 in two weeks, uh, talking about introductions, and uh, we'll work our way. We, we'll have a lot of work to do when we get there. All right. So, in that, there's a couple assignments. So, realize that there are two weeks off, but, students, you have work to do. All right. So, make sure you, um, you, you cover those. Go to the original page. Um, um, bibliography and the, the assignments I gave you there and follow that as a track for each class. So this is, we need to do, um, what would be, I don't have mine in front of me, but it'll be what, what's next? It's uh, Ryle, isn't it? Ryle, Ryle. Uh, Ryle. So we have Ryle, and then what's the next assignment after that? Three expository Yeah, so, so go ahead and you know, take care of those those items. Um, one, two, three actually. So you have the, what's the next assignment after that? Because we're we're missing one two classes well, and come back is, for third. Jesus use of parables, illustrations, and word pictures. Okay, so so those are all things to be you know you got time to do those. I gave you some recommendations by the way for the three sponsors listening to those. You don't have to use those guys; those are just recommended if you're looking for somebody. Um, you know, you can find a lot. Most you can find most of them free online somewhere. In that way, any, any other questions? Awesome, it's great, Paul. Thank you for our time. Pray that you continue to train us, teach us, uh, equip us to uh, to be communicators of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.